0: This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life work, home, community, and the private self your mind, body, and spirit. Here is your host, founding director of Wharton's Work Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman.
1: Sarah Green Carmichael is an executive editor at Harvard Business Review. Indeed, she's been my digital articles editor there for more than a decade. I've posted about 50 articles under her editorial guidance, and she is truly a remarkable thinker and great editor. And I am very pleased to introduce her to you again, she was on the show last year, but we brought her back because we wanted to talk about uh, her new podcast, Women at Work, which is on HBR. She also hosts the long-running podcast, The HBR Idea Cast." What we talk about in this episode are some of the hot topics that concern women at work today, including how men and women communicate differently and why women are heard less than men and what to do about it, the Me Too movement and its backlash, and best practices for managing the complex dynamics of modern working couples. We talk about, for example... Uh, why you really want a loving kick from your significant other. So now, get set to listen and learn from Sarah Green Carmichael. Sarah, welcome back to Work and Life.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be back.
1: Well, it is wonderful to have you here. So, just really quickly, let's start about... Uh, on, the, on the subject of, of your advancement. When I first met you, Sarah, this is, I hope I don't embarrass you now, this is like 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago. And uh, you were just starting out, and now you're an executive editor at the Harvard Business Review. What, what has been, if you could boil it down, the key to your uh, successful advancement at that wonderful organization?
0: Wow. Um, well, that's a very flattering question. Um, I think that, one of the things I've just tried to do is focus on acquiring the best ideas and uh, shaping them. And I think that that's often a path that women take to leadership is just really mm-hmm. focusing on the work and doing a lot of it. And um, I I hope I've done that.
1: So when you say focusing on, on the best ideas, I mean, how has that helped you to to navigate the dynamics of Gender and uh, the various ideologies of gender uh, as they as they you know play out in in your workplace.
0: Yeah, well, I'm lucky to work in a workplace that's very egalitarian mm-hmm. and where we publish a lot of research on gender in the workplace. So people tend to be aware of what the biases are, and everyone's very like aware of implicit bias and these things. So my results may not be sort of uh, other match other people's experiences, but. Right. I do think that one of the things that women and men have to learn about leadership is that it really is partly about the work, but it's also partly about getting credit for the work. And I think we all probably have worked with people who have either been too far to one side or the other. They work really hard and they don't talk about it um, enough, and those people are kind of work martyrs. And then on the other side, you have people who talk A lot about doing work that they may not actually do and those Mm -hmm. no one likes working with those people either so i really think you know the best people just do both and and that's a really tricky line to walk sometimes
1: they do both what what do you mean both you have
0: to be a workhorse and a show horse you have to work Mm. really hard and do good work and also figure out how to talk about it in a way so that you get credit for the work you've done
1: Mm -hmm. uh well, this is a good uh, entree to talk about some of the some of the things that you're focusing now on your new podcast, uh, Women at Work. Be- before we get into the substance of that, and there are a couple of topics that I want to make sure we do get to, including the post Me Too world or the Me Too environment that we're in and what you're learning about couples um, and, and women in relationships and families and how those issues are playing out and what you're hearing about. But first, could you tell us a bit about what motivated you and your colleagues to launch this new podcast?
0: Yeah. So I think we were really hearing from the, uh, our audience that this is something they really wanted. Um, we've seen for a while that when we publish an article on HBR.org about some aspect of gender in the workplace, it's often among our most read articles, and it's often discussed in places that our articles usually aren't talked about, Um, like places like Jezebel.com or New York Magazine, you know, places where you don't necessarily always think, um, Refinery29, you don't think about those people always reading HBR. I'm always so delighted when they do, though. Mm -hmm. So we thought really, like, there's a hunger out there for a conversation about this, and we knew we were publishing lots of great stuff on it. And we just thought audio would be the right format because we thought primarily this will be women. Female executives are super busy. They don't have time to read things always, but they do have time to listen to podcasts. And we also thought that the audio format would let us have really rich conversations where we could be vulnerable and share stories and experiences as well as research. So it all just kind of came together.
1: So what's, what's the, the hottest topic so far in this podcast series that, uh, in terms of what's generated the most interest and uh, insight?
0: I would say the one that we have gotten the most feedback on is the episode we did called Make Yourself Heard. And I think the reason for that is that there's a lot of women and men out there uh, who feel like they are not heard in their workplaces and they want tools and advice on how to get their point across and influence their colleagues.
1: So what was the upshot of that episode?
0: The upshot was, I mean, we had a sort of rich conversation about all the ways in which often as women or just people who are not comfortable being self-promoters, we feel really uncomfortable talking about um, sort of taking center stage sometimes and really saying, you know, here's what I think or here's why you should hire me. I mean, I just experienced that again when you were like, tell me how you... (laughs) <laughs> you know, had this path at HBR, and I was like, oh, I can't talk about this. And I sort of thought, like, oh, I should – there's so many things I could say about that. You know, so you have this kind of moment of, of cringing where you just think, like, what do I do? So we, we had some mm. conversations with some good experts about that, and we talked to people like Deborah Tannen, who is, ah. you know, an expert in how men and women communicate differently. Um and to some other experts in the same vein about how can you, when you don't, whether you are a man or, or a woman, if you don't feel comfortable tooting your own horn, how can you um, really have more influence at work? And some of the things that we came up with were are probably going to, you know, maybe be somewhat familiar to your listeners, but hopefully somewhat useful. So things like go into a meeting with an ally who will second your idea. You know, when you make a suggestion, like have a friend in the meeting who knows they're supposed to say, that's a great idea. We should do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you do that kind of work before the meeting, then you can make sure that the, you get your idea across in the meeting. Or That's you know, important.
1: Now, do some people push back and say, well, that seems so manipulative. I could never do that.
0: Sometimes, um, and I think that one of the things that we really sort of struggled with in the podcast too is that you know we don't think that women need to change. Like women are doing the things that they should be doing. It's organizations that need to change. But at the same time, we know that women often have a path that is slightly more hurdled, statistically speaking, on average. Um, And we need to help women overcome those hurdles. So. In a sense, yes, it is a little bit manipulative, but if, if it's going to get us to a place where deserving ideas are heard and good ideas get the attention they deserve, then I think companies will benefit from that. Sure.
1: So, no, I would think yeah. of it as as influence in a positive way. I I was pointing out that some people might feel reluctant to you know be so strategic or you know uh, in advance thinking about uh, how to politically. Get the kind of support um in a in a public setting in a meeting from someone else uh, who they know in advance is is assigned the role of you know posse member ally uh, m- member of the club, someone who is going to second the idea and therefore give it more weight because it needs to have more weight uh, because in many settings, as you pointed out and as much research has shown, if it comes from a woman it's not going to carry the same weight as if it comes from a man so it's it's necessary Step, and I think it's a really important one. I, I was just wondering how, you know, there, you know, what what your listeners might be saying about, oh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea, but I don't know if I could do that.
0: Yeah, well, and I think you know there are studies that show that often female leaders struggle to "quote unquote" play politics. They think it's unseemly, it's mm-hmm. icky. They want the best ideas to just win on the merits. Um, but the way that I, I so I think you're right to bring that up as a criticism or a potential caution. But I think in that situation, you know, sometimes when I feel like I'm maybe asking someone to do something that's a little icky, I think, Well, if someone asked me to do this, how would I feel? And I said, Well, I, I feel like I was being helpful. Yeah. You know, if someone had an idea that I thought was really good and they said, Hey, will you support it at the meeting? I'd be like, Sure. Of so, course
1: no i wasn 't yeah, saying on that the it was a
0: person 's shoes, yes, yeah.
1: and that helps you to go ahead fin- finish that thought yeah, Please,
0: that helps me to get over the, the sort of natural feelings that I think that you rightly pointed out
1: yeah and and i I 'm familiar with this because i I teach about this and and I often hear particularly younger people and often women, also people from technical fields, they tend to emphasize this you know the best idea should rise to the top i shouldn't have to play the political games to you know set up my ideas for success and to navigate you know who's going to be aligned with this and who's not and how i get them on my side i don't want to do that it's you know it's 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 as you say icky but of course if you look at any successful career any people who've done work of significance and you look at what they have had to do to make that happen they of course have had to get political allies and support uh, the bigger the idea, the more support you need. So, mm-hmm. it's overcoming those blocks, and th- that's what I was curious about. If you know how you addressed that, if you did in that conversation.
0: Yeah, I think I think we did address it. I mean, one of the things that. I think comes up often is you know you in these conversations women get a lot of advice Mm -hmm. and often it does feel like you end up obsessing over how you're perceived which is ultimately not that helpful Mm -hmm. and you end up um, trying to use sample language you know that just doesn't sound like you like maybe you read in an article that you know what you should say instead of just sort of throwing an idea out there casually is you should say well I strongly recommend that we do XYZ And I can't really imagine myself ever saying, well, I strongly recommend, you know.
1: I'm sure I've never heard you say that, and we've had many conversations.
0: Yes, and I'm pushy sometimes, but I can't imagine saying that. So I think what you try to do is you kind of try to say, okay, well, what could I say that would be more forceful than what I'm saying now but would still sound like me?
1: Yeah. Well, I could see how many people would benefit from, from listening to Deborah Tannen and you talk about that. Uh, and and to 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 get the kind of advice that helps you to see that, uh, you know that being who you are is really the most important aspect of this, but also finding support. So, w- I imagine that there's also conversation about how, indeed, you do get support, not just from other women, but from men. Has that come up?
0: Yes. Uh, I so I think the role of men in this is huge because, of course, you know men are half the population. They are more than half, by far, of senior roles in corporations. Um, and I think a lot of men both are want to be allies to the women that they manage. And I think that they also, there's lots of guys out there who do not fit the stereotypical leadership mold of a charismatic, extroverted leader, right? So and I think a lot of the advice we give women also can apply to those men. So, we did hear from oh. a lot of men actually who said, mm-hmm. Oh, thank you, this is so helpful. Is it too patronizing if I send this podcast to the woman I managed <laughs> to come ah. right back and say, I don't I, I'm biased, but I don't think that's patronizing, you know. So but I think it is it is interesting. We are in a moment where I think men want to be helpful, but they're very afraid of coming across as mansplainers and are not sure what to do.
1: Ah, talk more if you would, Sarah, about um, the 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 challenge that men face about, you know, being inhibited uh, because of their reluctance, their reluctance to come across as mansplaining.
0: Yeah. So I think that, I think it's really admirable that there are lots of guys out there who have sort of heard that this, this moment that we're in is happening and want to be better mentors to the women that they are leading. Um, so I think that some advice for those guys is like, actually you shouldn't be so afraid to speak. Women will be delighted to hear that you are taking this seriously. Um, I Uh think there's lots of resources out there that men can find using HBR.org or Google, you know, or other um, ways to find out what it's like to really be a woman at work and, you know, ask the women around you, how can I be more helpful? Um, Mm -hmm. You can, I think, I think your good intentions will go a long way, even if the delivery is somewhat clumsy. Like, you don't actually get, you know, punished for trying. So I think there is, I know it can feel like a minefield sometimes, but especially if, like, these are women who work with you and who know you. And mm-hmm. if you're worried that, for example, you're talking too much in a meeting and taking up too much airtime, you can just ask. You can ask a female friend, you know, sometimes I feel like I talk too much in that meeting and women don't talk as much. Do I talk too much? You know, and hopefully she'll tell you.
1: Do I talk? I'm writing this down. Because, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> it's definitely something that uh, I could, I could ask more often. Um, related to this question of uh, how men can support women, I saw a really powerful, a bold piece, I would say, written by a Wharton executive MBA student uh, on HBR.org. I'm sure you saw it. You probably edited it, about the, um, the potential for backlash uh, in, the, in, the, in the Me Too world. Uh, you know what I'm referring to?
0: Yes, I did edit that piece. So the author was Catherine Tarbox, mm-hmm. um, and she has been hearing whispers from men she knows in the financial world that they don't want to manage women right now. They think it's too risky. Um, some of them are moving their direct reports to be managed by women instead of can- keeping those women working for them. And I just think that's A, actually probably illegal, and though I'm not a lawyer, um, and B, just such a shame. Because if yeah. you think about it, like women are not the ones who are posing the risk here. Like Women are the ones who've been targeted by this right. sexist bullying behavior. So, I think yes, there is. You know, I know a lot of fear there that is real. But at the same time, you know, there are not enough senior women in finance Mm -hmm. to manage all of the young women in finance. And there's a lot that women and men can learn from each other. And I don't think that segregation is the answer.
1: For sure, but it's but that what she identified is is certainly a current in this in this river here that that uh, that is real. Uh, what's been the reaction to that piece, and has it some is that something that's come up on your on your podcast yet
0: It's interesting, so the reaction to the piece I have heard from the author that she has gotten a huge number of private messages about it, hmm. and hmm. that does not surprise me because given the topic and the kind of whisper network nature of the conversation around still around harassment um I think it's a piece that people are much more likely to share via email or share privately than to share, like, on their Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Um, so because way, they're, they're I, afraid
1: I, to make a public statement?
0: Yeah, I think, and I I am a little sad about that. Um, I'm glad a lot of people have read it, but I, I I do wish the conversation could come out into the light a little bit more without quite so much fear. Hmm.
1: How can we get there? What advice do you, you have know, for people who might have seen it or are thinking about how they can advance advance the cause of, uh, of a more open discussion and better problem-solving that actually addresses the, the root causes and and gets past the fear uh, that, um, that you identify?
0: That's a good question. So we published another piece by Amy Gallo that was called How to Talk to Your Colleagues About Sexual Harassment. And it had a lot of advice in it, but the piece that really stuck out to me is to remember that Um, just having the conversation is important and you don't have to necessarily and shouldn't probably plan on convincing anyone. Mm -hmm. So um, that just having an open conversation where you sort of make the other person feel heard um, can be really helpful. And I, you know, I've tried to remember that. This is a tough time, I think, because, you know, a lot of women feel like we've been doing a lot of Emotional labor on this topic for a long time and keeping it conversation in the shadows and there have been real career um, ending Consequences to bringing up That you might have been sexually harassed by Mm -hmm. someone you work with Mm -hmm. for the woman usually ends her career um, And only now are we starting to see that it's finally ending the Mm -hmm. accused harassers careers So I think a lot of women are in a place where we're just not gonna take it anymore and I can understand that if you're a man and you're kind of used to women not talking about it, and suddenly there's lots of women who are fed up and not willing to be patient in these conversations anymore, that that sudden change is jarring. But ultimately, I, I do think it's healthy. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's progressive, uh, and and change of course is always uh, painful. Uh, I, I want to talk about uh, another topic. That has come up uh, on your podcast, I gather, and that is about working couples. Um, mm. so what's what's the latest that you're hearing or that you're addressing uh, on on the women at work podcast about couples?
0: Yeah, so one of the um things that I was just so interested in on this topic, and i I think Stu, that you know, I'm not surprised that you asked about that because I know you know, work and life. It's like what you do. Um, so what I thought was interesting about it is so often we talk about working parents and it's as if the only conflict in a couple's life is their child. And hmm. like if the child is this sort of thing to be logistically figured out around a career, but even if you are um, in a couple who is not married or in a couple uh, without kids, you still have a lot of conflict sometimes over whose career should come first of course where should we live and you know you're on your phone too much or you're working too late you know these things come up so we wanted to really just look at the, the couple um and not so much at some of the other things that
1: mm-hmm. are around
0: the couple and one of the things that really surprised me is that the couples that su- seem to be succeeding the most are the ones that are willing to give each other what INSEAD professor Jennifer Pertiglieri calls a loving kick. So this is like when the going gets tough, your spouse or your partner doesn't just say, oh, that's so that's so tough, that must be so hard. They say, wow, that sounds really hard. What are you going to do about it? And they kind of push you to go back out there and and deal with it. So mm-hmm. that was something that surprised me, as I just had assumed that empathy was the way to go. But it's kind of like, no, it's empathy, but with a little push. Hmm.
1: And uh, I mean, that makes perfect sense to me, uh, both from what I know personally, also from 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 looking at uh, many, many, many people's lives, experience, and and the research literature. I think is is strong. Strongly supportive of that idea of both um, empathy and challenge, uh, you know that that combination. So, what what kinds of questions are coming up uh, about what or or what advice? What's the, what's the best advice um, aside from or in addition to those loving kicks? Great metaphor uh, <laughs> that that uh, that working couples ought to know about, based on what you've been talking about recently on the podcast
0: it's interesting how much it in the end overlaps with some of the things that we talk about at work. So we did, you know, an episode on communication and making yourself heard. And then we did this couples episode and it was like, well, really everything we talked about in the communication episode would also work for the couples episode, Mm -hmm. right? Because those skills are transferable skills and you can use them at work or you can use them at home. So, um, For example, like one of the things that came up a lot was how women have a tendency on average, right, that's important to note, uh, to save face for other people and maybe communicate a little less directly than men do. Um, And that's something that you can use at work or use at home, you know, and I've certainly learned in both places That I have to be much more clear and explicit about what I'm saying. So I have to say, you know, I agree with you and I think we should definitely do this as opposed to like, yeah, sure. That sounds good. Mm -hmm. You know, or if I don't want to do something, I have to say, no, I really don't think that's a good idea. I don't think we should do that.
1: And explain your reasoning.
0: Yes. But I think that's like step one is just being really clear, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, some of the I, I was sort of hmm. tickled that some of the communication advice we were giving in that episode really also applied to the couples episode too.
1: So what is it? What's the what's the heart of it so far? Uh, at in terms of what you what you're getting at and the value that you're you're bringing to your listenership.
0: I think that the heart of it for us is just that there is a lot of advice out there and a lot of it really puts the burden on women to fix themselves, mm-hmm. you know, to do something differently and i think we wanted to both give women advice on how they can win at work cuz that's what we're all about at hbr is like helping people in their careers um but we also wanted to acknowledge that it's really hard to figure out what advice to listen to uh we did a whole show just on the advice women get and give cuz oh. there is so much conflicting advice out there
1: what was the what was um, the takeaway from that the big idea
0: the the big idea from that was that um Good advice can be really hard to take, but you still have to try, uh, I would say. Yeah. Yes,
1: that's good. Yes. I mean, yeah, the good advice is always, always makes you a little uncomfortable, doesn't
0: it? Yeah. So the one person we talked to on that um, episode who I thought was fantastic was uh, a woman named Tiffany Dufu, who has a book out now called Drop the Ball, which is mm-hmm. all about dropping the ball on projects that are not important to you it is going to change my life. I thought it was a fantastic book. So I was super excited to talk to her, but like that's advice women often get is just like, Oh, don't worry so much about the small stuff. Well, that's hard to do sometimes. So Mm -hmm. we talked about how can you really, how can you really do that? And I, I think, um, yeah, I hope we've created a, a space for women to feel heard and to learn more about how to make themselves heard.
1: Before we go, uh, a question I've been asking all my guests this year. I'm going to ask you uh, because it's it's just a topic that I want to give more air to, and that is compassion. How would you say you are 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 you bringing compassion into your working life?
0: That is a great question, Stu, and I'm really glad that you've asked it. Um, I think what I try to do is. I have been trying to work harder to get more different perspectives into the pages and onto the podcasts that HBR publishes. Um, Because for me, compassion is all about putting yourself in another person's perspective. And so I've been trying to do more to make sure that I really know what it's like to have experiences that as a, you know, white woman from the northeast who works for harvard that i will never probably actually have so i've been trying to do a lot more to just learn about people with different experiences and backgrounds and Hmm. be humble and admit that there's a lot i don't know
1: wonderful thank you for for addressing that so eloquently and for the great work that you are doing with this new podcast and with the idea cast and as uh as a really remarkable editor at hbr Uh, Sarah Green Carmichael, thank you very much for being my guest tonight. How can listeners find out more about uh, the podcast and the other stuff you're working on?
0: Yeah. So if they are in their phones or podcast app, they can just look for Women at Work or HBR IdeaCast uh, or a third new podcast we just launched called Dear HBR. Uh, I recommend all of them. Um, It's a great way to keep up with what HBR is publishing and also get advice they can use. And if they have any feedback for me, I'm on Twitter at skgreen.
1: Awesome. Sarah, thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Stu. Well,
1: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sarah Green Carmichael on some of the critical issues facing working women today. Now, if you want to take some action to be a part of the grand changes that are afoot in our world today with respect to the role of women at work, here is an invitation to you, a challenge. If you're a man, why not ask a woman at work what you can do to support her? Or alternatively, Maybe even better, more practically speaking, ask a woman at work if you talk too much. Do I talk too much? What's the impact that that has on you? Give that a shot. See what you discover. And if you're a woman, my invitation, challenge to you, would be to reach out to find an ally man or woman, who could actively, consciously be an ally for you in supporting an idea, an initiative that you want to bring to a meeting where you need someone to second it, to to, to stand in support of it. See what happens. And let me know What indeed transpires, what the results of your experiments might be, uh, if indeed you do try them, I'd love to hear from you. You can write to me, Wharton.upen.edu, or just let me know on Twitter. I'm at Stu Friedman. And if you have an idea for someone you'd like to hear on the show, let me know about that as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by commenting there or tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me.